Thank you, Ryan. What a blessing it is to worship with you this morning, and uh, appreciate and uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity to be your I preach for these last seven months. It's been a joy for me. Congratulations, church, on bringing in a great man of God that I think is just handmade or God-made for you. And congratulations, I can say this maybe better than anyone right now, to Bobby on getting a great church. It's going to be a great fit and a great journey with God. Um, I hate goodbyes. I mean, I don't like to use the word hate. I strongly dislike goodbyes. So that uh, I was kind of ready to say goodbye a couple weeks ago. I told some of you I'd be back, and then I realized I didn't know if I'd be back, and then I realized I didn't know if I wanted to. I don't like goodbyes. So what I would like to do is preach and run straight to the truck and go home. Because I love you guys. This has certainly been the best interim I've had. Uh, would you mind praying for me tomorrow? I'll be interviewing with another leadership team tomorrow about an interim of about an hour north of here. So I'll still be in behind the pine curtain with God's people Perhaps we'll find out tomorrow how that works. Again, congratulations to you and, and to Bobby. And I'm excited for you more than you can know. I, someone said, well, we know you didn't want to be our pastor. You don't know how much I wanted to be your pastor. But I'm called to be an interim pastor. I'm called to be that guy that drives in and helps and leaves. Uh, you may have never seen the movie The Magnificent Seven. If you've not, fine. The old one, if you, if you have, wa not watch it. And at the end, uh, the, the few that are remaining alive in this old western are looking down on the town. And they're leaving. And you watch that scene and know how I feel. It's like, you know, you got to leave the church in good hands. But you've shot up as many bandits as you can shoot up and then you got to go. And you could say, you know, you shot too many bullets while you preached too long. I understand but I was doing my best for you. Now today, I want to conclude with a message that I think really is fitting for this transitional Sunday. It's really a life verse of mine. Would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? It's a life verse. We're going to read down to verse 25. But this life verse, uh, I think, is not only fitting for my life and your life. I think it's fit fitting for today. Open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 18, would you? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, the Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Greeks and Jews, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's our verse. Here's our verse. For the foolishness of God is wiser 
than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. We're going to say this together so many times today. It'll be our memory verse. Let's say it together. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, a preaching professor was asked by a preaching student, how many points should my sermon have? And the preaching professor said, at least one. Well, we'll have at least one, and this is it. This will be our point. This is what we'll drill down on. I love the story of the seventh grade boy that came back from, I'm sorry, the seven-year-old boy. The seven-year-old boy came back from Sunday school. His mom had not been to church that day, and so she wanted to get a refresher on what he had learned. And she said, what did you learn in Sunday school today? He said, Mom, today we talked about when Moses led the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. And here's how it happened. Moses got to this barrier of water, this great barrier of water, and he saw that they couldn't cross over, so he got the Israeli Corps of Engineers to build a pontoon bridge across the water. And they got across the water safely, and when they did, they saw the mighty Egyptian army coming, and they got stuck in the mud. They had cannons, and they had uh, military weapons, and they had all of this arsenal. So Moses called the Israeli Air Force in. And they bombed the Egyptian army into the mud and into obliteration. And that's how it happened. Her mom was worried. His mom was worried about this. And said to him, is that, is that how they taught it in Sunday school today? He said, well, not exactly. Not really. But mom, if I told you the way they taught it, you would never believe it. You ever read the Bible like that? Just let it, let it be. And some of you grew up in church so long that you maybe haven't done that. I was saved at 16 years of age, so I, had, I have had a wonderful journey of reading the Bible going, Are you kidding me? Are you serious? God, that's how you did it? That's foolish, humanly speaking. Her name is Carolyn. She wrote a book called Light Fair. She tells about when she was in college, she started a Bible study with a guy that she wanted to date. And they were studying the Bible, and so she knew the Bible, and so she came across a verse in the Bible, and she quoted it to him in their dating Bible study. She said, he who finds a good, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. She quoted the scripture to her date, and then she winked at him. Big old wink at him. And then she said, would you like to obtain a little favor from the Lord? He knew the Bible too. So he quoted another verse in Proverbs and he said, He who winks the eye causes trouble. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about winks. I, uh, I think God winks. I think this passage, 1 Corinthians 1.25, is just a major wink. It's his way of saying, To me and you, you think you've got it all figured out, don't you? Then he winks at us. He says, because my ways are different from your ways. So today let's just drill down a little bit on this thought that God's ways are different. I will tell you that I had to look up the definition of wink. Not that I didn't know, but I wanted to know. So I looked up and the Encarta definition is this. Listen, 
gesture by closing one's eye briefly. I know this is insightful and you're probably writing this down. To close one eye briefly, usually either as a friendly greeting or to show that something just done or said is a joke or a secret. I want to lean on the word secret. You know that God could reveal everything to you right in advance. He, he, he could tell you, you're going to be at this juncture of your life and this is what you're going to face. He could take you to your death date and say, here's how you're going to die. Science fiction movies have fun with this, don't they? God has chosen to keep some things and many things a secret to us. The older you become and the longer you live, the more you should learn to lean in and trust that. But here's his way of saying it to us. Wink. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We could cover so many passages. Would you allow me to cover some in the Old Testament and some in the New just to highlight that God loves this modus operandi. He loves to do things His way and to surprise us. And uh, some of the surprises we like and some of them we don't. But in the end, I believe when we stand before Him in heaven and He brings it all together, not only my life, my family's life, not only your life and your family's life, but all of us here together in our lives and then all of the people of God in Texas and across the United States. And when we see in a panoramic way how God has brought everyone together to be His children for His glory, then we will say, Oh God, your foolishness, your worst day, is wiser than my wisdom on my best day. And when you look so weak and so fragile, like you're going to fall from heaven and you don't know what you're doing and you have very little power to lift me up and above my problems, oh God, on your worst day, you're infinitely better than me on my best. What do you think? I think Abraham and Sarah would agree. Abraham and Sarah are our forefathers in faith. They're the founders. They heard the call of the old covenant. We talked about them a couple weeks ago, but... uh, Let's move forward to, would you please, Genesis 18. Let's do that for fun. Would you turn to Genesis 18 and let's just look at their lives. we got to have some fun here today. Sarah uh, is 90 years of age, where we're going, okay? 90 years of age. Probably no teeth. Aching back. I mean, rheumatoid arthritis, like you wouldn't believe. Digestive problems. Yesterday, I got a call. I had a calf. Uh, uh, one of my yearlings shouldn't be pregnant, but she was. And they said, come. We had to pull the calf. But I'm, my mom said, I'll open the gate. My 85-and-a-half-year-old mom, I'm driving in the truck trying to get to my cows, but she's walking across the farm market road to open the gate. And this is how fast she was moving. She's five years younger than Sarah in this moment. Are you with me? 90 years of age. <laughs> and God says to Abraham and Sarah, guess what? He tells them they're going to have. <laughs> a baby. That's crazy, isn't it? They're going to have a baby. Now here's what God, the Lord, says to Sarah and her good is dead husband. You say, where do you get that? Paul called Abraham that. How many of you husbands would like to have that in the Holy Bible for you? 
Scott the good is dead man. Well, I mean, he, you know what he, they mean here. He's just, it's too late. It's too late for him. It's too late for her. And so the 99-year-old toothless man lets out a cackle, and Sarah is overheard too. She lets out a hearty chortle. And, and here's what she's thinking outside the tent. Sarah's outside the tent hearing the Lord talk to Abraham saying, I'm going to make your family the family that blesses all mankind if they choose to be blessed and curses those that reject your seed, which is Jesus. We know that as we look through the pages of the Bible. But he says this, your family is going to be so big that we won't be able to count the number any more than we could count the sand on the sea. So Sarah hears this out there, and she lets out a cackle, a hearty chortle. And the Lord says, did I hear you laugh, Sarah? She said, uh, me? She said, no. <laughs> now, why would I laugh? Well, a 90-year-old woman about to have a baby in nine months, why would I laugh? What's there to laugh about that, Lord? And he said, don't lie to me. I'm paraphrasing here. Don't lie to me. I heard you laugh. Look at this verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Say it with me. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength you'll get it you'll get it let's do it again the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength is anything too hard for the Lord he says <laughs> amen to you that's right the Lord asked that wonderful question to, uh, to them and he asked it to us because he wants us to get this message. It's, it's in the entire Bible that God's ways are different from our ways. I was thinking about this week, and I think, if you love money, you know when you think of God, you think God has streets of gold. And you know you miss the point, right? Because you can't wait to get to heaven. You're going to get your pick, and you're going to be chopping on the streets, get a little gold. If you think the Lord's about possessions, like one of my favorite verses is, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I just wish he'd sell some or give them to me. I love cows. I know it's crazy. But God's not about cows. He's not about gold. If you think it's about fame and fortune or you want to be known by the people and you press yourself forward to be known by the people, and you think, well, God, he presses himself forward, does he not, to be known by the people? No, 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 no. It's not that he is more than what you want for yourself because he's the greatest of that. He's completely different than you probably think if left to yourself he's completely different than you think if left to yourself that's why we study the bible and say huh, oh the foolishness of god looky there it's wiser than human wisdom or what about gideon would you open with judges seven please let's turn to judges seven uh, what about gideon remember his defeat at the midianites midianites are then modern day uh, isis now they're they were terrorists on camels, and they would come in and terrorize the nation of Israel uh, without any forewarning. They would sweep in on their countless camels and plunder and pillage and be gone. 
And so they're a real problem for the people of God that are gathered together in tribes at this point in time in the history. And, and Gideon is the judge that the Lord has raised up. You remember him with uh, his fleece. But, but listen to what happens here in Gideon's chapter 7. He has 32,000 men here. I'll just read. Read with me, please. Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. Verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. 32,000. Now you, you just naturally in your own mind go, Okay, 32,000. That's too many because maybe it's unfair. It'd be like the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Leon Cougars where I went to high school. It just wouldn't be fair. Is that, that's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying that 32,000 is too many. You'll see as the story ends that there are so many men in the camp that cannot be counted. But listen, he, he, the Lord's ways are different from ours ways. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. I have that underlined in my Bible. That her own strength has saved her. Announced to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So 22,000 men in their pickups came off the mountain. So there's men in their Chevy, Chevy Silverados and their uh, Ford F-150s and their Rams and their Tundras. Well, probably there were no Ford people. I'm just kidding about that. that that's a bad joke as a Ford driver. You see this mountain, all these lights, and 22,000 trucks coming off the mountain. Are you with me? 22,000. And Gideon's going, we could have used them. Why? Because they were weak in the knees. They're afraid. Let's keep going. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, verse 4, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I tell you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Verse 5, so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Now listen, I'm a little weird, I know that. But I've acted this out for myself. Obviously, if you're frightened, if you're weak in the knees, maybe you shouldn't go into the Midian camp because these are ferocious, terroristic uh, Apache-like warriors, and so get rid of the frightened guys, right? Who wouldn't be frightened? I'm wondering. But anyway, now, so I go out to one of my ponds, and I practice just to see what it looks like. So I kneel down, and I, I get a drink. Not really, but I almost got a drink. You should go to the Natchez River and just really lap up some of that good, fresh water of the Natchez, okay? And then I did this, and I got down and went, I didn't really drink, but you know what? I said, oh, I see the strategy. I, I can see. I'm on the, man, I got, I got I'm, I'm ready. I don't know why I'm doing all that, but this is my last Sunday, so I can make a fool of myself and be gone. But I'm sitting, acting this thing out going, I see, not frightened and ready with the eyes up. You see it? Baloney. That's, what you, that's wrong. That's not right at all. He narrows it down to 300 men, and this is how they act it out. This is how they do it. They go in after a dream to encourage 
Gideon, he gets a dream. By the way, if, if you're in the Word and you're praying, God may give you dreams. Why don't you extend those? The Lord says, I'm going to encourage you. This guy gives a dream. He says, we're going to go in there like a barley fire, and we're going to burn up this thing. So he, here's what God told Gideon to do, to get three things, kind of a, a, a vessel, a, a pot that would make a lot of noise when it breaks, and a torch, put the torch in the pot, and then a trumpet. Yes, music ministry, you love this passage, do you not? Yes, the musicians win the day. Don't you love this story? Amen. If you like music, this is your passage. So they go in there with 300 broken into three groups. One, two, three. And they go in and they crash these pots. They brandish their torch. And they yell, for the Lord and for Gideon. And they turn on each other and start killing each other. Now, as far as fear goes, that's the most frightening thing I've ever heard about. Didn't just eliminate those who were afraid for military tactic reasons because they were weak in the knees. And it certainly wasn't anything about, I got you. You know what it was? It was this. Say it with me. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see why that's a life verse? It's not only a life verse to live, it's a life verse to learn. When you read the Bible, having that in your mind, you go, well, God, you're different from me. You're unusual in how you do things. I cannot count on common sense, common meaning what everybody has. I must hear you and have wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see life the way God does and act accordingly. Oh, God, teach me how you see and then let me follow where you lead. Because what I'm seeing right now, what's in front of me, looks like a horde of Midianites. And it's just me, and it's just a jar, and a torch, and a trumpet. And he says, that's more than enough. Amen? Oh, it's good stuff. What about David? We don't, we don't need to turn there, but what about David? Really, a ruddy shepherd boy? Guess what he had? A slingshot and five smooth stones. I remember hearing a sermon one time about the five smooth stones being, number one, he had the, the stone of tithing. Another two, he had the stone of Bible study. Another three, and number five, the fifth stone was the cooperative program. I was like, what'd you get that, brother? I don't know why he had five stones. I just know this. It just took one. And this ruddy shepherd boy takes on a man so mean that I think he could take Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and palm them both with one each hand. Big old boys, Watts or whoever you want to think, the biggest NFL player, just grab them and say, Hulk, who you? Whoa, boom, bash them together. And this little Dennis the Menace guy takes the stone and brings them down. Why? Oh, for the nation of Israel to know who their king is. Yeah, don't miss the point. You know why? Say it with me. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You think? I talked to you a couple weeks ago at Christmas time about the birth of our Lord. I know you've read Luke 1 and Luke 2. We won't read those together. Matthew 1, I know you've read it, but if I am going to design a plan whereby the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes to this world, I'm going to give him... As a father, a king, the greatest of kings. I'm going to give him as a mother, a queen, the most beautiful of queens. And his pillow, 
is going to be satin and his sheets are going to be silk. And he's going to have cloth diapers and live clean, beautiful life where people come to hear him. It's going to be a fairy tale that Disney would dream of but could never imagine. That's what I would come up with. Is that what you read when you read the Bible in Luke 1 and 2? Or do you see this 12-year-old girl? She's probably 12, maybe 13. Next time you want to know what it looks like, go down to the apartment and find a 12-year-old girl in a connect group and look in there and see her. And he was probably 17. Is this your plan, God? In a filthy manger, away from home, displaced, misplaced. (laughs) Why? Why would God send his son, his only son, to be born to a 13-year-old girl, nobody knows, and to a a gangly, awkward, skinny teenage boy who's not sure that he should be doing this. You know why? Say it with me. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And what about the cross? I don't think we could see it better. If you could go to the next slide. It's back in 1 Corinthians. I want you to listen again to the way Paul puts it. He puts it so well. He says, Jews demand signs. Well, that's what Jesus said, didn't he? Y'all want signs. He performed miracles, but it was never enough. They were titillated. They wanted a bigger sign and a bigger sign and a bigger sign. He said, this is what you want. You want evidence that I am the political leader like David that has come back to set you free from the oppression of the Romans. I know what you want. You figured it out and you want a king, an earthly king, a human king with a mighty arm and a sword and an army. And you want to be free and great like you were under David. I know that. And you Greeks look for wisdom. Sophia. That's why the Greeks were all about sitting at Mars Hill and discussing with their philosophers, what if What if? What if? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They don't get it. And foolish is the Gentiles. They reject it. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. While Christ is hanging on the cross, a Jew standing there cannot say, there he is, there's our Messiah. He will set us free. And Greeks would have laughed. Romans would never, what if our king was a weak person, so weak that he died on the cross. This can't be the Messiah, the Jew says, and this can't be our king, the Roman says. Why? Why would Christ go to the cross and die? I think it's put well, very well, by Peter. He writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Or we could say it this way. God is saying from the cross, I've got a secret. And he winks at us. He says, but I'm going to let you in on it. 
I'm going to let you know the secret that, that your parents, Adam and Eve, blew it in the garden. And there is a punishment, a spanking due, but it's coming due. And it's coming due on my son. And I laid on him your sin. I put on him your sin. And there he, the Lamb of God, takes your sin and the punishment and the consequences of your sin. And he winks and says, you can receive this gift. I send him. He chooses to go. He dies because someone had to pay. He volunteered. He voted for you. And here's why he winks. He says, will you vote for him? There is no greater wink than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ever think about the demons clamoring when Jesus is on the cross? You ever think about the demons and the devil himself saying, now we've got him. Fiendish delight, they, they lower Jesus from the cross. Surely they thought they'd won, right? Surely they did. They have defeated the second person of the Trinity. They have defeated the Savior. He is terminated. I want you to listen to what J.R.R. Tolkien writes. In, he's the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. If you're not into those, may God forgive you. Just kidding. That's all right if you're not. Don't miss this quote, though, if you're not. Listen to what he says. No man can estimate what is really happening at the present. Oh, you say, I know what's going on right now. I don't. And I think he's right. We don't really know everything that's going on right now. All we know, and at, to a large extent by direct experience, is that evil labors with vast power and perpetual success in vain. In vain. Preparing always only the soil for unexpected good to sprout in. Do your best, devil. We've won. You look at the cross and then you see the empty and open tomb and you know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. What do we know? We've won. Really, He's won for us. Isn't that more accurate? He has won for us and we step into and trust that victory. Not ours, not our good works, not our religious actions, not our church attendance, not our baptism. Though thank you and God bless those that were baptized today to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth is, it is He and He alone that has died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we shout with loud sense of joy, say it with me, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is more powerful than human strength. Woo! They just leave. We're here with the giant. Woo! Man, this is good stuff. This is what God says. I love Fred Craddock's story of yesteryear. Fred Craddock, Arkansas preacher of yesteryear, but uh, a prince of preachers and wrote about preacher. But here's the story he liked to tell. I'm just going to tell it to you. So this, you know, this pastor goes on his hospital visitation rounds, and he, and he comes to see the little old lady who he's been told in the hospital is hard pressed to stay alive she's gasping for her last breath and so he he gets to the room and knocks and goes in and there she is breathing with heavy labored breath maybe moments from being in the pearly gates and he sits down by her and holds her hand and looks at her and says dear one is there anything I can do for you and she said would you pray for me pastor 
And he said, sure, what would you like me to pray? And she said, I'd like to be healed. He kind of gasped, you know, like, oh, my. He was young, but he wasn't that young. He'd been at the hospital bed many, many times. So here's what he prayed. Dear God, pray that you bless our dear sister here. She's labored long and has been an inspiration to us. And Father, if it be thy will, we pray that you would heal her and put her back to her life of servants, service. But if not, I pray that you'd bring her peace for the current circumstances. In the name of Jesus, amen. And he opened his eyes and she opened her eyes and she leaned forward. She sat up. She put her feet to the side of the bed and she sat up at the edge of her bed. He moved out of her way and she stood up, breathing well, walking strong. She made her way to the door. He watches her walk past him. She's going down the hall, heading to the nurse's station. And she's saying, praise God, praise God, praise God, I'm healed. She's going to the nurse's station. I'm healed, I'm healed. He sneaks out. Doesn't take the elevator. He finds the stairwell and takes the stairwell down to his truck. Or he gets it to the door of his truck to open his truck and he goes, God, don't you ever do that to me again. You don't get that joke, do you? I'll tell you this. Many of you came here, you just don't want any intrusions on your life. You pray, but you don't really pray. You believe, but you don't really believe. You say you expect God to do great things, and often when He does great things, we take the credit, do we not? In August, I got a call from a guy named Josh. Never forget, Josh, we were planning an event, Engage Evangelism Conference for uh, Director of Missions, Gerald Edwards, soon to be your Director of Missions. We're meeting there, and we're all talking about what we could do at this conference, at this church that's going to host it, and we're talking about ways that we can equip churches in evangelism. And this young guy, big guy at the back, raises his hand when we're almost done. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I have students in my youth group on Wednesday night. They ask questions. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if he never existed? How do we really believe the Bible, they ask this, in light of evolution? And he started listing the questions, and the old guys are sitting around going, what's he talking about? And I said, this is where we live now. He taught me that behind the pine curtain in Texas, students struggle with questions that are tough, which is why I share these with you when I teach. But I said, I like this guy. And I, I kept up with him. I said, you'd be one of my friends. He called me in August and said, there's a church, and they've lost their pastor. Would you pray? I said, Josh, I'll pray. This breaks my heart. He said, the second thing I want to ask you, would you consider letting me put your name as the interim pastor? I said, Josh, I don't know anybody in that church. And there's two churches talking to me right now. He said, would you just pray about it? I want to thank you for letting me be here. My dad died a couple years ago as I walked with you. He healed me through you. I'm better now. But I'm here to tell you, the foolishness of God is wiser than any human being's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I'm here to ask you, would you trust him today?
So search committee, church, I mean, we all checked our Rolodex and our contact list, and I did, and I know a lot of preachers. And I looked, and I prayed, and I thought, and I used my wisdom to think of somebody that could be your candidate. And so did the search team, and so did you. And we're looking nationwide, right? We have a nationwide search going on. No limits, God. Where do you want? He goes, well, he's in your back pocket. He's in your backyard. And he's a healer. He's a man of prayer and man of God. He's a man of missions. He's a friend. He's a person that loves God's word. And how can we not say today, say it with me, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. One more slide. Was it 1980? Some of you are old enough to know that we had the biggest drought back in those days. When was it? 1980 or 81? It was so dry that we didn't cut a lick of hay on my dad's ranch. No hay. You know how much fun it is to hear your dad say, we don't have any hay, we don't have any grass, we're going to grease every ball bearing on this place. That's what every boy from college that came home for the summer wants to hear. Right there. Every tire that's flat, every grease bearing, every zerk we're going to grease. So, horrible memory, except for one thing. I am... I know lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. So I've got one set of tires on a trader that was about broken down, but it had not had the grease changed a long time. So I am lefty, loosey, lefty, loosey, lefty, loosey, lefty, loosey. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Everything I could, I was, and it was just getting worse. My dad walked up. He said, son, that's a dodge. I said, well, I'm dodging, but it ain't helping. He said, that trailer was made out of old Dodge wheels and frame. I said, what does that mean? He said, lefty tidy, righty loosey. I backed off and went, righty loosey, and she spun right off. My father taught me that sometimes reverse threads exist. My heavenly father taught me the same thing. He thinks differently, my brothers. He's not the common thought that you encounter. He is God and we are not. And he says to us, you may not understand everything I'm saying to you right now, but you can trust me. You can trust me. Will you trust me today? Dear loving Father, it's crazy how, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some folks here today that this is the first time they're running into you and the way you think, and that in and, and their mind it's kind of going reverse. It's, it's that righty-loosey thing and lefty-tighty, and it, it's just hitting their brain funny. Maybe it's just this simple. They've never accepted your son as their Savior, and they're trying to do good. And be good and think good and get better so that someday it might be good enough. And here today they run into this one simple truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what we do, Lord, it's never good enough. And what Jesus did on the cross, it's finished. It's done. So maybe that's where they are. If someone's here today and they've not made that decision, I pray that they will. But Father, all of us who know you need to see that at this point in history and at every point in history, but right here, right to now, we see that the devil does his best. We know that. But God, through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death, his powerful transforming resurrection, we are overcomers. Father, we're here to say to you one more time, your foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. We confess that. And your weakness is stronger than our strength. Oh God, we fling ourselves upon you. Our minds our bodies, our lives. For you are God. There's nothing too great for you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you'd like to join the church, make a decision, we'll be up here. Friends are here. If you want to come and pray, come indeed pray. Come pray for your new pastor. Come pray for your church. Come pray for your family. But understand this. He is able. He's more than able. Let's stand, let's sing, let's come.